1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
2: What is up, TSL family? Welcome back to the show. Uh, We are so excited about this show. Again, I mean, we're excited every week, but we have another live special for you guys this week we were very excited to see that savannah morgan from the london screenwriters festival reached out to us to see if we could kind of fill in a last minute slot and of course we eagerly said yes we love that festival we love the conversations that that festival facilitates and this week is no exception Uh, megan Lorien talked with chris jones who moderated a beautiful conversation about sort of why we write and what are the deeper emotional and even spiritual reasons that we feel a need to write And I thought it to be just an incredibly motivating and inspiring conversation in a time when I really needed it. So it feels like a very quintessential TSL classic conversation. I know you all will love it. And I want to say thanks to Chris Jones, Savannah Morgan, and Bob Schultz from the London Screenwriters Festival for inviting us. We love you all, and we love that you're um, dedicated to inspiring us to write, which is one of the most sacred and honorable acts that we can do. So we really want to say thanks. And in the meantime, we hope you all enjoy this wonderful
3: conversation. Let's bring uh, Meg and Lorian into the studio. Meg, are you there? Laurian, are you there? Hey. Welcome and thank you for joining us at the London Screenwriters Festival Online, officially our very first session of the online festival. How amazing.
0: Oh, Oh, yes. Thanks for having us. It's an honor.
3: Fantastic. So how how has, um, are you like, every? I always ask everyone how the apocalypse has been for them, but mo- most writers say, well, I've not even noticed it. I'm just sat here writing my scripts. How has it been for you?
1: Catastrophically apocalyptic.
3: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> at last.
1: I can notice what's going on around me and also be writing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Fantastic. I'm jealous. Well-
1: I'm jealous that other writers can lose themselves so
0: completely. Uh, Yeah. But you're also trying to shoot a show so that you, 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 you've got COVID everywhere. Uh, Yes, Yes. I probably am in the middle, which is of course it's affecting my life, but in terms of work, you know, you get to uh, go to your desk and sit down and work, not having access to people is hard. I think not having access to the stuff that supplies the fire and the for the for the burning fire to write is hard because you get kind of uh, you get kind of tunnel vision in this, but uh, it, we're coming out of it. I hope.
3: Right, right. Well, I caught I'm going to re actually read what I wrote um, about the title of the session: "How to Survive, Thrive, and Find Meaning as a Writer." And then I put the words "Primal Scream" at the end of it because that's how it actually feels to me um, <laughs> at the moment. And um, I wanna, I want if we can, kind of dive a bit deeper than a lot of the sessions we'd normally run. And often we get set, kind of segued into structure or characters and plot and getting an agent and all of that stuff. But I I wanted to go deeper into the big why question of why on earth we choose to do this thing that, you know, my mum, bless her, she still thinks I should have opened a fish and chip shop down at the bottom of the road. And, you know, I'd have a real job. And my, my partner's uh, mum and dad, they run a farm and they pluck lettuce. And the very first time I met her um, and, and went for dinner with her parents, her dad sat me down and said, what do you do? I pluck 10,000 lettuce with my hands today. And I was like, well, I, I sat down and I had some ideas and I wrote it down. And even now they have no idea. They've accepted it, but they just don't get it. They don't understand um, what it is um, that we do. But I don't know about you, but... Certainly, for me, that phrase—I heard a nun say this—you know, Christianity isn't uh, isn't um, chose, isn't taught; it's to, isn't taught; it's caught, and and it feels the same with what we do. It's like you, you have to kind of do it. So, what is it that drives you individually? To what is your why to be a writer? Mm-hmm. It's
0: so
1: interesting when you first asked that, I really thought about it. And this sort of like feeling of, uh, I don't know if it's sadness, but like I wanted to cry when you asked that question because it's such a part of who I am. Um, You know, intellectually, I can parse it out into all different ways. Like for me, it's a lot about trauma. I'm trying to understand trauma, my own, other people's, um, uh, what it means, how it defines us, how it doesn't, Um, but, I don't know, it's a really good question. It's sort of, um, it feels a lot, maybe your comparison to Christianity is fair. It feels a lot like faith in a way, that I have to have faith that there's a why. Sometimes I lose it. Um, uh, yeah, but I definitely feel emotional talking about this because uh, it feels so core to who I am. I, you know, I'm gonna let that talk and then I'll think about it. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, there's definitely an element of it's not the easiest choice because there's no ladder. There is no, you know, you go to school, you get your, your, your bar, you take the bar, you, the corporations will come to school and, you know, interview you. And then you get in the company and you go up the ladder. And I know that for a lot of different jobs now uh, in the world, people are changing jobs all the time and it's becoming more, less singular, but. You know, if you're picking lettuce, you go out and you pick the lettuce and you become competent at it because, you know, it's very clear. The lettuce dies if I do this. The lettuce lives if I do that. I can sell here. I can't sell here. There is objective response to to what you're doing. Whereas a writer, a lot of that will to do it is self-driven. How to do it is self-driven. There's not this objective, clear um, response sometimes. Sometimes it's so subjective. What Even what the market wants can be subjective, meaning it's objective in terms of what they want, but do they want that tomorrow? Um, and maybe it has nothing to do with the value of your work. It just isn't a widget that fits with what they're looking for. So the, the job is um, challenging. And so there is that old adage of if you can do anything else, do that. It's just you're a writer because you can't do anything else. I think there is truth to that. Um, I think that you're, it's a calling, I guess, is how I would define it. And you can refuse the call. Absolutely. There's many people who have. I think that's a legitimate choice. You, or you take up the calling. And um, to me, it's a calling because it is an art form. And art forms, in by their very nature, ask you to expand yourself, evolve yourself, and be an artist constantly pushing towards an edge, and that's the deep work um, that happens when you're a writer. Um, Absolutely, it is also a business, and your you know I loved what your co-host said about you know take me for a ride on in the script, and all of that is is absolutely true but the calling of a writer is to learn all of that craft, all that storytelling, and still be putting your heart and soul and guts into it. So for me, it's, it's a calling that I refused for many, many years. Uh, It felt very dangerous to me. Um, I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't want to face the failure. So I kind of took a job next to the person doing the writing and became a development person and a producer. And that was a great job. I learned a ton. I could have just stayed there forever, but the calling became. It got more uncomfortable to not do the calling. It became so uncomfortable that it was more uncomfortable than the risk. The the the, the, the risk level, if that makes sense. Like before, I took. I, I jumped off of being a producer. When I was a producer, the fear and the and the and the perceived pain of taking up the calling was much bigger than the pain of being a producer and not fully being in who I am. But at some point it switched and I had to jump off and risk the calling. Um, So I feel like it's a very personal journey too, in terms of um, the why and when you're ready and when you're willing to take up the calling.
2: Uh Yeah. And
1: I think, what listening to you talk one of the reasons i feel so emotionally about it is that i've always been a storyteller and i've always found ways to sort of reject that call in a way like i've uh you know i'm the one at the campfire who's telling the stories i'm writing funny commercials instead of my english essay in high school right i'm always trying to figure out how to put a narrative into things um and then but always rejecting it oh same thing development producer um, and then still every day though, there's a struggle to choose it, <clears throat> right? Choose to write, choose to be invested. And it feels risky and scary every day still. And so it's not so much about the why for me, because honestly, I don't know what other skills I have anymore. Um, it's uh, if I don't, I, that's scarier than if I do. And so I, I have to <laughs> sort that out right? It's sort of the why and the why not, or that's not fair. It's not why not. What am I trying to get at? It's, um, it's, a, uh, I don't know, but it feels emotional and intense and, uh, scary and I have to choose it. Right. And I think that's the thing about faith. I am not a religious person, so I can't speak to the concept of faith specifically in terms of religion, but, um, uh, I have to just like, I think you have to choose your relationships every day and how you move through the world. I have to choose to be a writer and I have to choose to write every day um, because- and a big part so of that
0: choice, I think is the moment as a writer that it goes from hobby to your profession. And yeah. that doesn't mean you're earning money from it. It doesn't mean anybody else thinks it's your profession, but internally you have shifted over from, this is my hobby, I'm doing it on the side, which, is sometimes just logistical. That's only the time you have. But I'm talking more about the internal that you're going to mm-hmm. risk believing that this is your job. It is your job to sit down and do this, even if it means, you know, uh, you know, like Lin Manuel talked about uh, how much of his life he missed writing Hamilton because he did it on the weekends and he did it at night because it was his mm-hmm. job, even before it was his job. Like this is your job, and I think that's another big jump that you have to make in this why. Like at some point, is this your job to do this every day, whatever feedback you're getting, even if it's none right now?
1: Yeah. And right now, a big part of my why is because
0: I need to work. All right. Then <laughs> the why, make a it's living. pretty easy,
1: which is now you yeah, need to make a like, living. I have year. to go pitch a show and try to sell it and and right. make money as a writer, you know, right. so it's sort of the business part of it comes in there as well. But it's a big choice. I, it's a big choice I, and a big commitment.
3: I, I <clears throat> one of the words that just came up a few times there is faith. And I, I recall when I made my first feature film, it was a very, very low budget film. And we had to shoot, it was on film as well. And we had to shoot the whole thing without getting any of it processed. And I remember turning to the DP and and what, said, well, what does it look like? And he's, well, we'll find out in four weeks time. Cause we were actually up a mountain shooting it. And <laughs> And I was, he said, we just got to believe that it's exposed and in focus. And I think it's one of the things that I think digital has taken away from filmmakers is that that leap of faith that you believe that what you're doing is working, instead of actually looking at it and being hyper analytical and, and too critical of your own. Even first drafts, you know, it comes back to that. You know, being too too harsh on yourself and actually believing in who you are and and what you have to say. And I have to say, I've got a little bit of um. A, a thing here for me personally because next year i'm I'm taking a break from the festival and going back to filmmaking and screenwriting so actually I'm just having a personal conversation with you to inspire me Yay, that's awesome <clears
0: often. throat> I mean listen that believe happens all the time it happens every day for me in terms of it's so incremental even in terms of I believe that what I'm gonna the version of this I'm gonna try right now can work you because else how, how can you do it like you have to be right. like well what if i did? change and move this scene, maybe as incremental as that? Or what if it's, I just blow this up and like her dad's not even in it. Let's just say her dad's not even in it. What is that? Let's believe that that could work. Let's just take it through its paces. Like the belief can be in the actual processing of, and then you get, it can be all the way to the script. And I believe in this script. And then you send it out and you get your notes. And then you (laughs) don't believe anymore at all and you're like oh my god why what is writing what are words why did i do this the
1: minute the minute you hit send right you're like oh my
0: god okay right now i don't believe anymore why did i ever do this i'm an idiot holy shit right and then i literally sent something the other day that i literally was doing i can't i was doing this to push because i was so scared to send it because it's my passion project and i actually care and uh so i just um That belief is just a continuing practice. It's almost like a Zen meditation practice. Like you you have to believe again and then you get your notes and then you have to work your way back to, I always have to work my way back to a solution to the notes or a new idea or something that inspires belief again, that we should do this again. Let's go again, go again, go again. And there's always a, it always takes some time for me to get back to that. I got, you know, very rarely in the note session do you get that idea that inspires you to everybody's all excited to go back. That, that belief is such a big part of the process because we're dreamers. We have to believe in the dream. Yeah. I'm always so surprised how physically exhausted I am at
1: the end of a day of writing because you, you have to believe in everything. You can't just throw it away. I'll try this or I'll try this. You have to believe it's going to work. In order to move forward, in order you have to invest yourself in it, right? And it feels physical in a way, too. Like I will get up from my chair and feel like, oh, I feel like I've run a marathon. It is tiring. Your whole self into every single avenue, and then, okay, that didn't work. And then you have to prepare and rewind, and like, okay, what did work? Moving forward again, you know, and all the emotional responses you have to that, and remembering to stand up and drink water and go to the bathroom, taking care of your body, right? But it is a it is a commitment to that why, of why you're a writer every day. That's why I talk about making the choice. You know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I am in, I'm investing, I'm focused, I'm committed. And even though you have that, like, it's not gonna work, right? Like if I take the dad out, it's not gonna work. It breaks everything else, but you still have to believe in it and you still have to do give it. it
0: its, give it its fair shot. You know, the other side yeah. of this, to speak to what you're saying about that you're gonna go back and, and go to your writing, which is fantastic, I'm so excited for you. You know, there is the other side of this where your work is received and um, it's received. You emotionally move somebody, you emotionally thrill somebody, they had a great ride, or they, you actually made them think about something more deeply. They connected emotionally in a way that they really needed to. Um, And we certainly had this experience on Inside Out, having worked on that film and how it rippled out into the world and what it gave to the world. And we're parts of that team that made that movie. It was a very big team that made that movie. And everybody uh, went into the artistry of that. Every person on that movie had to get naked at some point, meaning be super vulnerable and go super fast and put their guts and hearts into it. But when you get out to the edge of that and it is received, uh, it is looking back at everything else we're talking about and all the effort and commitment and risk is absolutely worth it. And it's not even just if the movie's like put into 150 screens. It could be you know uh, a short film screened a couple of times, but people are talking to you about it and you you move them. That isn't that that to me is enough. Like that's what that's the deepest reason that I'm a writer because I wanna tell stories that can reach people and that they can see somebody that they couldn't have related to, now they do relate to them because they see the humanity and how we're all the same and connected. Like That's my deepest uh, reason for writing since I've been a little girl, that's the kind of stories I've been writing. So I think that it is good sometimes to articulate what kind of stories you like and why you're doing it but ultimately you just have to live it and just to say that I'm so glad you're going to go back into the into the water because we do need your stories you know it's a calling because okay this is going to sound really woo-woo but I believe it you're chosen you were chosen to be a storyteller and it's so generous of you to have given your time and energy and talents to everybody else and all these other storytellers, all, these, all this time with this festival, what an incredibly generous thing to do as an artist. But how beautiful that you're gonna go back now to your own stories, because that is also a calling and the universe wants those stories out into the world. So it's kind of, I see it as my responsibility to sit down and write and believe and have faith and get the notes and fall down the hole and get myself out of the hole and go again and go again and go again. Because that is, that's what I've been called to do because the stories need to come through me. And so I, I have a responsibility to the stories. You, you have a responsibility to the stories that have been given to you. Um, and that's the biggest why for me. Hey everyone, so the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out and, you know, the question's going around. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I want
1: to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0 where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really,
0: really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters, I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool.
1: So, uh we think the new version is really worth uh investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com/products to get the new version with a discount code of screenfd for 25% off. You should check it out.
0: That's Screen FD. screenfd. S C R E E N F D.
3: Um <clears throat> just to chime in on, on that. I mean, my personal feeling at the moment is the best word I can come up with is I just feel haunted by these stories that are not being told. They're like all around me and I can never quite see them because I'm not sat focused on them. And when I explain it to people who aren't at the very base creative or writers or storytellers, I sound like a lunatic. Um, But I, I, I completely know what's going on for me. I have to go and exercise these ghosts that are in me. And I, I had a, I, I want to talk to you about um, the impact that Inside Out had on you. and I'll, I'll just go back to an experience I had that I think hopefully will reflect your experience. I, I made a series of genre films in the nineties and had a huge amount of fun doing them, but I was a young person and, you know, had fun blowing things up and scaring people in the dark. And I made this film later in life, a short film that dealt with bereavement and um, and when I played it in America, particularly in America, people would come to me at the end and they'd be crying and they'd get hold of me and they'd say, I've got to have a copy of your film. I've got to mm-hmm. show it to my sister because then it will make sense about what happened to dad or mm-hmm. what happened to Uncle Bill or what happened to Jane because it's a film that, that dealt with bereavement. And um, and it was a, a kind of Harry Potter style up version of that. It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, social realist. And that's when I was suddenly really kind of infected with this uh, profound, it really unlocked my need to change the world through what I was creating. And I, I kind of heard a, a, an echo of that in your stories about Inside yeah. Out, that somehow you changed the world.
0: No, I mean, that is the reason that I do it as well. And I'm so I'm so glad to hear that story about your short film, which is beautiful, by the way. I had a chance to watch it, and it's... It, I, I can understand that you got that response and that's, I'm particularly glad that you're going back to your work. Um, You know, and The Good Dinosaur, uh, another film that I worked on at Pixar, Um, did it do the best at the box office as all the other Pixar films? No, it didn't. Um, But I've had more people text me about that film in terms of its impact on especially their young children understanding bereavement, understanding Um, and that their kids become obsessed by it because they're working through the death of somebody they know Um, and uh, that's just to me that's 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 the goal that's the like why you do it and why you go through this and you know I put my own loss of my father into that movie you know it's Pete it's Pete Soane's movie but as a writer you have to put yourself in there and You know um, the loss of my parents is definitely in there, and you're risking and putting stuff in there. And then, especially, you know, for Inside Out, absolutely. I mean that that because it really changed the uh, it gave the world a context to talk about emotion that normally they want to get rid of or pretend isn't there. Um, I mean, some people didn't get it at all. I had a father come up to me at a at a party and say, "Well." you change the way I parent. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so amazing. And he goes, cause now when my daughter's sad or being angry, I go, Hey, get joy on the controls. And I was like, yeah, that's the opposite of what the movie was saying. So sometimes people don't want it. They just can't process it. They just don't want it. Um, and that's fine too, but you do reach a lot of people. I know the special needs community uses the film a lot. Um, You know, it is a way to give people language to know each other and connect to each other. What 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 more could you ask for? But, you know, I have to be, you know, you get films like that when you do those risks internally. You know, Pete Doctor is a genius at dropping into that vulnerable, self-aware state in order to try to pull it up into his storytelling. And um he's really, really good at it. Plus he can add in all the fancifulness. So he really asked all of us coming to the table to do that kind of deep dive. I mean, I'm deeply in that movie um, because that's what it, that was the price of admission to work on the film. So um, that is what Pixar does so well is dig and dig and dig and, dig and, and, and the, the authenticity Right, And that's when you get those kind of moments of somebody walking up to you and saying, I have to have a copy of this because I'm, I'm, I, I don't even know this as a fact, but I know that you put something personal in that movie because to have that effect.
3: What, what's interesting it actually comes straight onto my next point is um, it does deal with bereavement. And my father had died two years before I made that, but I actually didn't actually connect in my consciousness that that's what I'd done until I was at the premiere and my mum was sat in the audience and I suddenly went, oh my God, this is a film about, about my dad. And I didn't know I'd made it and and i had to explain to her i said listen you know if it impacts you you know i i didn't plan it like this as it turned out she she thought it was wonderful and then was not at all upset and didn't you know even crack a tear really she was i think she was just overwhelmed by being at a movie premiere um but it, it kind of speaks to this this, I've been really ruminating on this idea about, you know, things like theme and writer's voice. And sure, you can hear Quentin Tarantino's voice when you see a Quentin Tarantino's movie. But I think there's something else there. And it's that part of us that we put in that we're not necessarily entirely conscious of. Maybe Lorien as well, talking about dealing with trauma. Uh, Sometimes that's very conscious, sometimes it's completely unconscious. And it's going in there. And that ability to be completely vulnerable when you're creating just allows that work to be to really connect with people in a way that you know if you if you're not that vulnerable it it, it doesn't connect I, i'm kind of rambling a bit here but no I'm just no i to, totally I, get
0: it i totally had that same experience on inside out where i had to write the scene where riley comes home to her parents very quickly due to the schedule we were on and it wasn't until we were sitting in the audience at Pixar where you do your screenings and then you go get notes in the kind of animatic storyboard phase. And the screen, and it comes up and we're in front, we are, there's 250 people in this giant theater. And all of a sudden, you know, Riley says basically to her parents, you want me to be happy, but I'm not. And I thought it was in the theater and I was like, oh my God, that's what I wanted to say when I was 11 years old and I didn't, but Riley's brave enough to say it. Oh my God, oh my God. Like I literally felt like everybody must know, everybody must know. And, but they did know, that's right. They did know because it was when you can get, you don't have to consciously know when you're writing it. Sometimes it's good to be articulating it, the theme as you're doing many, many drafts. I think that's why it takes many, many, many drafts because this stuff is in your unconscious. And it's like you said, a haunting, and it's wanting to come up into the world. And you may not know till you're sitting in the premiere, or you may know as, you know, you at least knew your theme of bereavement and what you wanted to say about it. You might not have known the personal connection to your dad, but you can know or not know. It can be a haunting all the way through. But the important thing is that you're leaning into those things that do maybe make you feel uncomfortable because that's where the juice is. And you don't have to know why it makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't have to know why it makes you cry or why it makes you giddy. But that's what you want to, as a writer, and instead of writing away from it, it, and this is discipline, you want to write towards it um so i totally 100 percent agree with you it can be completely unconscious and that's okay it's a dream
1: it's so funny i'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about this and um i've been working on my way into a project and i can't quite figure it out right i have all the pieces um and i sort of know what it's about i have a very clear idea of you know plot and the take and everything and I just asked myself a few internally here while I was listening to you a few "why" questions and how this, how I can turn this to be my actual point of view and my voice, and it all just flipped in my head, and I figured it out.
0: Oh my goodness! <laughs> what are the questions you asked? What are the questions? Well, I mean, is it is it, is it is it project specific, or could other people apply that those questions?
1: I speak generally about it. So I, um, I, uh, you know, Meg, I was talking to you the other day about. Uh, women in stories and how you know a lot of women are portrayed as crazy or unbalanced or un, you know and that's why they have impact on the world the way they do as crazy women and I sort of was like oh gosh I write about women who are you know like that and you said no, no no you're writing about women who exist in a world that's fucked up. Sorry, I hope I can swear. And I was like, "Oh, okay, right. The world is closing in on them, and it's how they're navigating through that." So they're, I just thought about that as
0: crazy because the world is insane, and they're saying yeah. yes. And so then I was like, "Well, how does that
1: apply to this project?" Because it's different, right. she is in the way I'm looking at it is like she is the crazy one. And I was like, "Well, what if she's not?" And I was like, "Oh, what does that mean? What got her there? Why?" <gasps> I figured it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's knowing yourself and knowing what you write and seeing are there patterns in what yes. you're writing that are thematic, emotional stories you love to tell. You know, sometimes when when we're working uh, more one-on-one with people, like at, we go to a, we mentor at a place called CineStory, which you can all apply to, it's a lab. Um, sometimes we, we'll talk to people about, you know, pick your favorite, favorite, and everybody out there right now can do this, pick your favorite three movies, but the kind of movies that you've seen many, many times Um, And that you would, if if you saw it on TV at two o'clock in the morning, you'd have to watch the whole thing because it's that movie. And just write them down as fast as you can. Better if there's a lead versus ensemble, but whatever. Write them down as fast as you can. You'll get the first two really easy. The third one will be hard. Don't cheat. Don't go look at someone else's. Don't look online. Just write them from your gut. And then go and watch those movies again, or just from memory, really track the main character's journey. How do we introduce to them? What's their inciting incident? Where are they at the end of act one? What's their goal? What's their plan? Where are they at the midpoint? Where are they at the end of act two? Where are they at the climax? And you're gonna start to see a pattern arrive in the themes. Look at who the antagonists are. What are the kind of forces that are coming against them? And what kind of world are they in? How does the world see them? How do they see the world? And you'll start to see thematic patterns coming up, which are good sometimes to see and know because you can do what like what Lori just did And start applying that to this core clay idea, be it a, a, or, you know, because it's a book or because it's just your core idea. And again, Mm -hmm. that sounds crap like I'm just, I just jumped over to craft, but really I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your gut. I'm talking about why you write because you do want, you have a thematic pattern that you, you have something you want to say about this. Um, And it can change. Your view on it can change in every movie, you know, Um, and you can start to see patterns in, and director's work and an actor's work yeah. producer's work i mean we tend to yeah. be kind of asking the same question over and over in order for me to to
1: write this and pitch it and make it means that i have to believe it and that's my voice in it right, right. that's my point of view about this and so I could put some intellectual ideas on top of it. This is the world, this is the tone, this is, you know, I've, I've articulated the theme, but unless I know what my point of view is and I I have one right now and it's writing about this one thing, unresolved trauma, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's it's what I'm processing and what I think about it and how I think it defines us. And so, oh, right, you know, I've been working on this for a week and it just occurred to me like, oh, right. <laughs> What do you care about? (laughs) You know, so it's like it's relearning as a writer over and over again and using those muscles, which I think is, you know, part of the hard part of it, but also part of the fun, like, oh, wait. I know what to do. I had a moment of discovery. Like, thank you, everyone, for witnessing that with me.
0: That's also <laughs> that's not why the first
1: we... time that's happened. I've had that before. I think the last time we were here, that the same thing may have happened. Wow. That's awesome.
0: I do think it's also why we write. Like, I write because there's nothing better than when it clicks. And there's nothing better than when you're in a brain trust at Pixar and people are, you know, they've just taken your thing apart. And you're like, what? And then people are throwing ideas and this idea connects to that idea. And all of a sudden people go Wah! and you're like, oh, and then then people just are like, you can do this, you can do that. And you're like, there it is, there it is, there it is. I mean, that doesn't happen every time by any stretch of the imagination. But when that happens, it is like something's born that's beyond you. Even though you created it, it, it is it is a thing of, and of itself and it is rising and it is going. That character is talking, walking. It's like It's like true creation has happened. And uh, it's so thrilling. I love even just when I'm writing and all of a sudden I have no idea what the character's doing, but they're doing it like that. You're so deep in that dream and they're telling you and you do just feel like a conduit. I mean, honestly, when to to the day to day nitty gritty, that's why I do it. I do it for that high of when you finally get in the stream and it's starting to go and that stream can be on what we call the vomit draft. I know everybody doesn't like that word, but well, that's the word I like. Because it, you're just it, you're in the dream, you're just dreaming. Let's call it the dream draft. You're just letting it go, no judgment, no nothing. You're just getting it out, and those are lovely and fun to work on if you can turn off your Uh-oh. judgment brain. Can we move, Meg. Uh oh. Uh oh.
3: Okay, oh, we're we still back? here. No, we're still here. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's just you know, there's lots of different reasons to write, and uh, I just I love that getting into the flow. I love the flow state.
1: And right now, I've been, sorry to interrupt. uh, I've been working on this and talking about it and writing little notes and typing and handwriting and trying to figure out what it is. But for the first time, I feel really excited to start writing because I know the truth of it now. Like this character's truth is similar to my truth. And so I actually feel excited now to start Telling the story of it instead of being in the place of figuring it out, which can feel like you're talking about Meg, like until you get that click, and I feel like okay, now of course this could all be a lie. I'm telling myself, and once I start writing, no, it'll it's all not fall a apart. lie.
0: It's a piece of the process. <laughs> yes, tomorrow you could be like, yes, that's part of yeah. it too.
1: Yeah, so that's that's the the fun part of discovery. But um, because I always like to go right to the negative. I have a hard time living in the joy. It took me what thirty seconds to get out of that joy, and then. <laughs> Yeah, because you
0: feel uh, safer there.
1: Joy is very dangerous, oh. clearly. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about trauma some
3: more. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm I, I, so resonating with, with this whole conversation. It, this is I, I've done loads and loads of interviews for the festival. I wrote a book about filmmaking, did hundreds of interviews. And this is one of the first times I've not literally got a single question at all. I've just got lots of thoughts. And, you know, I've been worried all day, like, how the hell am I going to do this? And purposefully putting myself into a dangerous place in order that this thing can rise in me to have this conversation, as opposed to me saying, so how do you write great characters? Which is, you know, how it could have easily... um, Good gone. for
0: you. Look, you're getting yeah. your muscle up for going back to writing. Look at Thank that. You. It's good instinct. The unknown. Good yeah. instinct.
3: <laughs> exactly. What well, something just came to me. I don't know whether either of you ever saw. Uh, there's a Cameron Crowe uh, show called Roadies, um, and there was uh, an ep- it's It's about roadies, you know, supporting rock bands. And there's a character that tells the story about Leonard Skinner and Freebird supporting the Rolling Stones. And uh, it's a fantastic episode. And during it, this character shares about how Leonard Skinner basically outperformed the Rolling Stones, who they were supporting, because they got into that genius state, that flow state. And the most amazing thing about it is this footage exists, and you can actually watch it on YouTube. And it's like 15 minutes long of of, of rock and roll, and the the you can see the audience kind of going, "What the fuck is happening?" Like it's all just happening and it's compl- it, but it all comes out of that muscle yeah. and the, the, the discipline, but also the freedom to create. And it, I, I urge you to watch this episode. It's, it's just a great episode. It's a great show. Loved it. It was very, very sad there was only one season, but should we just talk about that, that yeah. state that you were talking about, Meg, about like, the, I call it the genius state, the flow state, whatever it is. And that, that's also the reason I, I love what we do is, is the domination of that allows me to not have to think about what most other people think about on a daily basis. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, it is an honor to be able to have that as a job or 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 what you want to do is to get into that flow state. You know, to get into the flow state, in my opinion, and everybody's different, but in general, I think that's why people say write every day. I think really what they're trying to say is to the flow state has to trust you that you're coming to do it. And, and the muses who maybe turn the switch on the on the on the flow state want you to sit down every day and train your brain. This is a safe time. I'm committed to it. I can get into the flow state, and it's okay. I and you know that flow state for women traditionally is not very long. They don't get a lot of time because traditionally we've had to do so many things, right? Like and you know a lot of time. I think the 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 icon of the flow state are these. Manly men who had women making them dinner and they got to just go and sit in front of their window and be artists or sit in the tub or whatever. You know, that's not how it works for most people. And traditionally, especially historically for women, that's not how it worked. You can get in this flow state for smaller chunks, you can get in it for long stretches if that's what you can do, but you have to figure out your way of getting into it and what you need to get into it. For me, honestly, sometimes, and maybe it's because it's a job. <laughs> But sometimes it's like, I don't have the luxury of being inspired to write. I don't have that luxury. I have to write because I have a freaking due date. And what happens is you get into the flow state because you pound your head against the wall. And then all of a sudden it's going. Now that might take 10 minutes. That might take five days. I don't know. But to sit every day and do it, it will come and what you find out is that your brain tells you it's just a little well down there. And in fact, it's the ocean, but you you have to start trusting that and that you have to keep trusting that the flow state will come and you have to start trusting that the flow state will give you brand new answers that you never in a million years would have ever thought of intellectually. It's almost like the two parts of our brains are at war, right? The intellect is very frightened of that flow state. It feels very, very dangerous. It makes you feel very, very vulnerable right? And so it's giving you all the reasons to not go into it, right? Well, you're not going to make any money at it and you kind of suck anyways, and you don't have time to do this and you should go do the taxes and you should do your dishes and all that stuff. And you just have to work against that, to sit down every day and get into the flow state. And then the other thing I want to say, and then I'll be quiet and Lauren can talk, is the craft that you talk about uh, either at other, with other speakers or you're going to classes or whatever, it really is to shape the flow state once it's come up, in my opinion. The craft stuff is not the flow state. It is not generally, generally the origination, which is why I keep wanting people to do vomit drafts or dream drafts. That's the stuff that's coming up. That's the flow. And then later you can get out and use your intellect to now take all that craft stuff and see, can you dig it out even deeper, even deeper, right? Is this the main relationship of the movie? What is she, does she have agency, Um, Do you can you see the poles of her character that stuff isn't kind of put on top it's giant shovels to go deeper and then once you can hear the, and then you're like okay let's go again and now try to get back into the flow state with those ideas and it does take some discipline to have your brain be able to start stay in the flow state and maneuver with those with that um, craft Um, and sometimes you might have blind spots. Women, you know, your main character, especially female characters having agency, meaning they are the creators of the plot, not watching it. Um, You don't feel sorry for them. That pity is a a, a crappy way to connect to a character. They're full three dimensional characters that just takes some time to because you're sitting down every day and learning your craft enough that you can get in that flow state and add those things in to push it deeper. That is just a skill set that takes time to gather and and garner. Yes,
1: I mean, I I grew up uh, watching a lot of live theater, loving it and loving that moment when you're in the audience, when it feels like you're a part of something collective and magic and the audience catches their breath, like the whole audience and is so with the performers. And when I started acting, you know, there's, you know, you gotta rehearse and build the stage and run the lines, I did the thing. And then you get there and you've earned it. You've earned being on the stage because of all the work you've done to get there. All that, you know, showing up every day, memorizing the lines, working with the other actors. And then you're on stage and there's that moment where you feel it happen on the other side, where you're, you feel the audience catch their breath. And it is the most magical Thing because it makes you feel transported. And as a, when I moved into playwriting, I was always trying to catch that feeling, like that of myself when I'm writing. And it's still, it's a little harder as a screenwriter, right, because you're, because it's a one-time thing when it gets shot, right? But still, like, even in the creation of it, and I, that's when I recognize that I'm in it, is that I'm, I've, I feel like I'm a part of something bigger, something collective, some, some, and it's not the truth. It's a shared experience and it feels so other and outside myself, but it, you have to earn it, right? I can't just show up and there's my breath catching and then I can write it all down, right? I have to rehearse. I have to show up every day. I have to navigate blocking. I have to do all the things you have to do to get there, you gotta show up every day, you gotta write a lot of crap, you gotta make a lot of mistakes. And then the other piece of being on stage that I loved so much is when something would go wrong and uh, you had to fix it on stage, right? Like once I was in a play and the door didn't open of me going into the basement, so I had to make up a line on the spot about how I was gonna go through the front door and climb in a window in the basement, right? And the audience, again, it was that feeling that like, the mistake caused this spontaneous solution that was funnier than what was written. And that again, the audience was with you and sharing in this like private moment, but all together. And I think that's, maybe that's why I write. But you know what's interesting to, about
0: that? You know what that interesting about that is what you're talking about too, is that there's risk involved. Right. Like, there's out there. Like, there's preparation, (laughs) you know, like boxers talk about this. The reason they're in physical shape because they get up every morning before the sun and they run and they're in the ring all the time practicing so that when they get in, they can go into their own flow state and not stop using their head. But there's risk involved in what you're talking about in terms of the door didn't open. Like, I went to see Hamilton and the whole thing was like, electric i can't even explain it i can't even tell you what it was but every performer on stage was very aware and very present and they've been doing this for i don't know how many years and i was like i went up to an usher and i was like what is going on and he's like that's the understudies understudy and they have never done this show with him they don't know if he's gonna be able to do it like it was they were so alive and when the when, the, when they came oh. out for a vow, they were all crying and they were grabbing him. It was so electric because there was risk. There was an uncertainty. And the flow yeah, state mean, is uncertainty. You have to push in the uncertainty of the flow state. It is part of it. It's part of allowing the unconscious to come up into the conscious brain. You don't know what's coming up, man. When you're in the flow state, it could be fucking scary. It might be the shark. And what do they say about bad dreams? Swim towards the shark. That's what you got to do. That's a deep flow state. And like you said, it may not be easy to get into, but you have to, if you're waiting to write because you're not in the flow state, you don't understand it. If That's not how it works. It's earned. It's earned and there's risk involved in it. Yeah.
3: To go to so that, quest-
0: that's super easy. Let's all do that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. <laughs>
3: uh, I want to go to questions uh, in, in a minute, but there's another big area I want to quickly talk about, which is awe and wonder, um, because it's one of those things that I've I personally really love it when it shows up and it i think we've um we live in a world now where i think a lot of people equate awe and wonder with big visual cgi and i've kind of gone the opposite direction now i'm it, this is like small awe and wonder and it's it's human and it's it's characters and, and people i um I'll just share with you an anecdote from just a couple of about a month ago, coming out of the apocalypse. I'm also a firewalk instructor, and I had the privilege of running a firewalk for a charity over here called PND Shine for postnatal depression um, mothers, survivors. And going into it, I, I was full up. Straight with them, I was like, I- I'm really terrified because I don't know what the fuck. Wh- who am I to talk to you about PND? I've never suffered from it, uh, and I'm I'm not female, and I know men do suffer from it, but it's it's generally a, um, a, a maternal thing, and um, and and we went through this process together, and then we did this big circle of sharing, and somehow. I had either it was timing or I just created the environment but all 24 of these women just started sharing these absolutely astonishing stories of survival uh, uh, that were just gripping for, and 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 like really broken people coming out of it and and there was a genuine sense of awe and wonder that they was kind of still alive and still here and and still ready to take on the the day and we we really figured out that it was yeah you know, we came up with this phrase that you know the universe will give you a load that you can carry you might not like that, but hell you're still carrying it, and that actually makes you kind of extraordinary and but this the way that they shared these stories they were kind of small stories, but my God did they hit hard and and hit really really deep and yeah. i'm I'm used to talking in these circles of sharing, but i didn't say a single word I, I just wonder whether you had any thoughts about how to capture like that depth with that moment where people are just like, wow, you know, you're in the presence of something like really amazing. Mm. How, how can we do that in our work?
1: I, I think you have to trust yourself and trust that you, it's the truth. I mean, to start with, right. So many of us live lives that, we feel like we've been gaslit to minimize our pain, to minimize what really happened. And so accessing it, what happened and talking about it with uh, real vulnerability requires us to trust ourselves and to trust the person we're telling it to. So obviously that group of women trusted you and trusted each other. So whatever you did was the process of uh, creating that trust. And, um, I mean, for me, I I have to trust that it's real and valuable and that I'm not burdening someone, that I'm not, you know, putting, making something up, right? Because of the sort of culture in which I grew up. Um, and then I have to go there, mm-hmm. right? That get in that flow state and then be really, really vulnerable and sit in my own shit for a while, not literally. But, you know, like be in it and know that it was real in order to
0: figure out how to communicate it in a character. Hmm. I was working with a young woman who was a great writer, but she couldn't get to that deep state you're talking about in terms of the writing. And what it came up in that example was she said, well, I don't want to be sentimental. I don't. I, it's sentiment. It's sentimental. It's cliche. Like all these words start pouring in. So my advice to her was to write the scene as sentimentally as she could, just have it oozing, dripping with sentiment. And then she did and she gave it back to me, it was beautiful and it was that awe state and it wasn't sentimental at all. I think a lot of times we don't go into it because of our own judgments, which is really just fear. It's that other part of your brain, very, very frightened that you won't survive it, and but of course you will. And uh, and it, so it's about when it comes up in that dream state or that flow state, And you feel it and you feel a need to pull back to go forward and let it be whatever it is. Let it be as shitty as it wants to be as sentimental as it wants to be as cliche, whatever words start screaming at you to not do it, just do it. It's a writing thing. You don't have to show anybody. And yes, it may be sentiment and cliche. And then suddenly boom, this thing's going to come up. And I think that of all the things I do, I do, I do trust that I no longer judge it. And I can go quickly or more quickly to it because my brain and my being so trust that that vulnerable thing that's gonna come up for this character that this character needs to show me, needs their authentic their authentic self. They need to be scared right now, even though the story wants them not to be, or they need to say no, even though the story wants them to say yes or whatever, that you've gotta go with that. And you can also, it, it can be grand, i.e. save the world moment, but probably what you're talking about when, you know, it's their intimate moments. Uh, between two people or alone or doing something. It's a, and again, I don't mean sexuality intimate, I mean, emotionally intimate, and in that we get to become emotionally intimate with that person, that character. and um, And just don't judge it, I guess, is the way to get to it. And I also wanna say, it's so beautiful that you described these women this way because there could be a lot of judgment that those stories are ugly or those stories are shameful or whatever, and of course they're not, what they are is beautiful. And that you have to see the beauty in it. And in yourself, in your own vulnerabilities, in your own trials, in your own errors, in your own failures, that's the stuff that needs to start coming up. So I guess it's having compassion for yourself and your characters.
1: And each time one of us shares something that is true, like that, it gives another person permission to access that piece within themselves, right? And that's part of our responsibility as writers. And
0: helps us we're connect. We're saying, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, It then it's like, oh, right, We're. I mean, I love Ted Lasso. This is like a revolutionary show because it's about kindness, but there's that, I don't wanna, no spoilers, but you know, a couple episodes ago when Roy, as a spoiler, Roy hugs Jamie in the locker room and it's so, It was so um, powerful and simple, but it felt risky for both of them. And it felt like, yes, that's what needs to happen. But it also felt real like, yeah, sometimes we just need a hug. Sometimes we just need to be the one giving the hug. Like that moment to me, so personal and so universal in its specificity around what that event was that Mm -hmm. I felt like, oh, I I could maybe get a hug. (laughs) I could ask for a hug (laughs) if I wanted one, you know, something just little, you know.
0: Well, we and you know, as our as our podcast, uh, the podcast tagline is "You're not alone," and that's what writing helps us understand: is that we're not alone, and we can all we're all humans, and we're all connected.
3: Yeah, amazing. So let's Eduardo. Let's see if we've got any time for any more quick questions, or not from me. Um, So let's see what they've. I can see there's a couple. So there we go. What can I? do to get get it back if I lose the why in my writing
0: I know this happens sometimes especially I sometimes I'm like why did I start writing this because your intellect is so overburdened that I would say start just start doing writing exercises so your brain doesn't think anybody's getting it no one's going to read it just exercises somebody once said to me you've got a dry riverbed so you've just got to get the water in the riverbed, and f- remember why you love it by doing it. In my opinion, just for fun, just for fun, just just try to get some water in the dry riverbed, and the why will come back to you, like an echo. But I think it's getting into the flow state myself. Lauren, do you agree? Disagree?
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes it's fun to go way big. Like, uh, I want to win an Oscar and then you write a whole story about what you wear to the Oscars and who's there and what it looks like and then what movie did I win for, what category? And then like, what was the movie about? And then like, then you can start getting into like, could maybe sort of as a writing exercise, trick yourself a little bit into like, what is the movie I win the Oscar for?
0: You could also, yeah, you could also let the antagonist who's in your head telling you you don't know why because you do know why i understand that you think you don't and that you've lost it but it's in there it just has gone into hiding for some reason so you could let the antagonist who's uh, the voice in your head write or let it talk write. to a friend and have them
1: ask you why why five times why? over and over again you remember why you, <laughs> you remember why
3: okay next question please So Denise asks, what are your writing and or pitching rituals?
0: Panic,
1: that would be my ritual. (laughs) Total panic. I went to write to pitching, right? I spend some time in the bathroom beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, Always, always stage fright
0: right before. My writing ritual is, if if it's just my own thing is I like to puke draft or let's call it the dream draft. Anything I want, just let it come out and see what's there. And then I go back to outlining. And I always want to be able to see the pulls of the character. They start and end here. Um, So I like to have some sense of the sandbox, but um, it's literally just iteration and asking lots of questions and then realizing, shit, I don't know what the world is. Or like Lorraine just had a moment where the whole thing flipped. And it's just, it's like going on a carnival ride. And so um, everybody's is going to be different in how you dig down to it. And every project is different for me. Every project is different.
3: Okay. And a final question then from the audience, or not?
1: Or not, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, well maybe, okay.
3: I think we'll have to skip over that then as uh, maybe my glasses are saying three, but maybe it's two. Um, So first of all, thank you so much for this extraordinary conversation. My soul is enriched and I feel even more empowered to embrace next year um, uh, and do something extraordinary. Um, But before we, before we close our conversation, I always ask this one question of everybody I talk to, which is what piece of advice would you offer um, a writer, perhaps a new writer, doesn't necessarily need to be a young writer either. We have a lot of people who are pivoting into writing because they wanted to do that at 23 and then got really sensible and became an accountant or a vet or whatever, um, and have come back to it. What, What single piece of advice would you offer to them?
1: I would say just because you haven't seen it before doesn't mean you can't do
0: it or be it or make it. And mine is you have to do it. Uh, You have to write every day or at least you decide what your process is, but um, write and know that even the geniuses, their early stuff sucks. It just sucks. We've seen it uh, in live in person. Uh, even the gene that is part of the process. So allowing, don't get bogged down and it doesn't work. Don't get bogged down in I got notes. All of that self judgment that stops you. Just keep going, keep writing, and know that you're going to iterate a lot. You're going to write a lot of drafts, a lot of projects to learn the craft at a deep level to get to this awe and wonder that we were talking about today. That it is a it is a road. It's a process, and it's very rewarding. Um, But but you have to just put your foot on the road and commit.
3: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for uh, giving up an hour of your time uh, with us. And I know that uh, everyone in the community is gonna be very inspired to get back to the keyboard uh, tomorrow morning, because we've got another session coming up. So thank you both for coming. If we were doing this live in person now, I would have everybody on their feet cheering and roaring, but unfortunately we're gonna have to do the digital version (laughs) of that. So that's just me clapping. So. Thank you. Yeah, clap yourselves. Yay. There you go. Yay. Well done. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you again. Thank you so much for
0: having
1: us. Thank you. Yes, it was fun. It was Fantastic.
2: Good. Once again, thanks to Megan Lorian. and, of course, thanks to the entire London Screenwriters Festival team. We really, really appreciate it, y'all. All right, it's time for some reviews, as always. As I always mention, um, these Apple Podcast reviews really help push our show up in the algorithm and help other people find the show. So it means so much when you write those five star reviews and I'm going to say it we're still aiming for that ambitious goal of 1000 reviews (laughs) before 2022 i think we can do it guys so keep them coming all right i'm going to start with this review from strong user from 2014 who says i heard about this show on script notes and it's so good and i feel like i stole something keep it up that makes me so happy uh we love script notes we love john and craig um and john was so gracious to come on our show and give us a shout out on his show I listen to Script Notes every week. So for all of you Script Notes listeners, we see you and we love you as well. Thanks for checking out our show. We really appreciate it. All right. Sandrine M says, this is an essential podcast. There are two people every screenwriter needs to succeed. A good mentor and a good therapist. This podcast makes me feel like I have both. That is so well said and I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Sandrine. Finally, this review from Miranda Kaz, who says, let's hear it for the boy. Oh, I don't read these reviews in advance and I think this one might be about me. It's very nice. Uh, Miranda says I would like to use my review to give a shout out to the man behind the scenes Jeff you do such a fantastic job producing the show your professionalism and intentionality is so clearly evident every time you speak and I love when you chime in well done sir. Also, excellent job being so consistent and clear with your call to action. Leave a review in every episode. Keep up the great work. What Miranda might be saying is, and thanks for being so annoying and pushy about these reviews. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, Miranda, thank you so much. I don't read these reviews in advance, and it means a lot. Um, I feel so lucky to be working with Megan Lorian and engaging with this community. You all are so wonderful. So thanks so much. Uh, make sure you guys tune in next week. I'm really excited. We have a conversation with Stacy Rukeyser, who created and runs the show Sex Life on Netflix and has worked on basically every other show in the business and really can speak to the politics and hierarchy and um, kind of ecosystem of a writer's room and has just a lot of brilliant things to say. I feel like we learned so much from her. So make sure you tune in next week. And of course, until next week, you are not alone and keep writing.